Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Hello, and you are very welcome to the Letter from Ireland show. This is Mike Collins here, and today's episode is called Reporting the Great Irish Famine. Now, the Great Irish Famine is one of those things I think is close to the heart, or perhaps the horrors, of many of the people actually listening to today's show. I know that it's probably one of those singular tragedies in Irish history that triggered the actual arrival in your land of many of your ancestors. Um, certainly from that period, 1840, let's say 1846 onwards, uh, to 1848 and way, way beyond, the population of Ireland went from an all-time high in the 1841 census, all the way down, dipping, 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 some places all the way to 1971. You, of course, had the immediate deaths, brought on by the actual uh, failure of the actual potato crop, but also the failure of the actual systems of uh, the administration to do anything about those particular failures. But of course, once that actually failed, you had the immediate uh, catastrophe, but you also had the fairly kind of uh, fairly immediate emigration of so many people from the island of Ireland, ultimately ending up in what's considered to be around about 80 million people who consider themselves around the world of Irish descent today. Now, the other thing, of course, is that the label, the Great Irish Famine, and that's the label that we actually learned in the Irish history books when we were young. But it's one of those things that's actually quite triggering for quite a few people. But if you go back to the original Irish on Gorta Moore, on Gorta Moore, meaning the Great Hunger, that perhaps is a more literal English translation and a more personal translation of just what unfolded during that terrible time. Now, one of the actual failures of the Irish famine at the time was the way that the actual, I suppose, public opinion took a while to actually realise something was going on across the island of Ireland and to actually do something about it and put pressure on the various administrations of the time. A very big part in public opinion becoming aware of just what was going on as a result of the Great Irish Famine was actually through the newspapers of the day and, in fact, through the actual painters and the illustrators of the day as well. So today's letter actually focuses in, today's two letters rather, on two of those particular topics. In the first place, Crean is actually going to read out a letter about a man called Daniel MacDonald. And he was a painter of the time who actually captured some very vivid scenes, uh, which were actually portrayed in the galleries across uh, Europe, the USA and so on, and also uh, illustrations inside in various newspapers of the time. We're also going to feature a letter that actually considers how it was reported in North America and the reactions of one particular group to what they read. So that's going to be our second letter today. But just before I go on, I have a very personal link, I suppose, to the way the actual famine was reported, certainly in the United Kingdom, back in the late 1840s, rather. And my paternal grandmother, Mary, uh, Mary Ann O'Regan, came from a townland called Kilbrenog back uh, in West Cork. Now, I knew my grandmother up to the age of 18. Uh, we didn't talk very much. 
Um, you know, she died when I was 18. And I guess, you know, she was much, she had much more in common with her own grandparents at the time of her grandparents back there in West Cork, whereas I was an actual product of the diaspora, being brought up in the cities of London, Dublin and Cork. So, you know, we didn't have much overlap, or so I thought at the time anyway, but, you know, here I am today. And it kind of strikes me, though, that whatever conversations we did have, they're probably fairly similar to the conversations that she might have had with her own grandparents back in the day. And her own grandparents would have been a couple that got married in the late 1840s in Kilbernog itself. And the reason I say this, it kind of shows you what a short leap it is back to that time that I could have been conversed with somebody who was conversing with somebody who was actually brought up during that time in their own family. And the other specific reason I mentioned this is because a number of years ago, I came across uh, inside the Library Ireland website, um, I suppose, articles of the day that were actually printed in London newspapers. And what the articles attempted to do was to convey to the public just how terrible the situation was, as recorded by the reporters on the ground and indeed in talking to the local doctors of the day on the ground as well. Around areas in West Cork, for example, was uh, and Skibbereen, they were actually chosen very specifically as being very badly hit by the effects of the Great Famine at the time. This particular article I came across, uh, I think it was two or three of them, they actually, I suppose, kind of made the leap into actually naming names and talking about places, trying to humanise just some of the terrible things that actually be witnessed at the time. And one of the accounts talks about three different Regan households in the townland of Kilbrenog. And they call them households, but effectively they were lumps of stones with bits of turf on the ceiling. And what people were actually witnessing in these Regan households, amongst others, was just death and decay. Um, you had bodies just being pulled out to the side of the road and left there. You had, let's say, um, bodies still dead inside the house after many days and people just too weak to do anything about those particular things. And, you know, I think when you kind of read an account like that, it means one thing. But when you actually start to see the names and the places, and in my case, realize that that, in fact, one of those houses was the house of my grandmother's grandfather at the time, shortly before he actually got married and, uh, I suppose, eventually led to myself. Um, it really brings it home, doesn't it, that sort of reporting. So I'm certainly glad that that's there, but it's actually a very, very harrowing thing to actually uh, read about. And of course, this sort of thing was never discussed by my own father, by my grandmother, you know, at the time of the famine. It was just too hard to look back on. So although she probably had some great conversations with her own grandparents, I doubt very much if uh, that particular time might be mentioned in any great way, except maybe with a, a you know face cast down, or in terms of maybe some uh, particular cousins that actually might now be in North America after their parents left around that time. So that just, to me anyway, is a very, very good example of good reporting at the time that actually led some huge changes. Uh, maybe it was all a little bit too late, uh, poverty relief schemes and so on across Ireland. So, you know, the way things are reported, the way things are captured, it means an awful lot. So in today's letter, we're going to feature two different aspects of that, as I mentioned. The paintings of Daniel MacDonald, and Green is going to read about them in a few moments. And then we're going to look at the Choctaw Nation in North America and their reaction to the accounts that they read 
in North America at the time. We're also going to include some uh, great music. We're going to start off in a few moments with uh, Paddy Riley, The Fields of Athen Rye. We're going to have Leaving Kilkenny from Robbie O'Connell. And we're going to finish, I think, with a nice upbeat tune, The West's Awake by Lumiere and Damon Dempsey. So without any further ado, let's start off with The Fields of Athen Rye here, sung by Paddy Riley. By a lonely prison wall I heard a young girl calling Michael, they have taken you See the morn Now a prison ship lies waiting in the bay Pray for her love and bond. 
Rodney Bay It's so lonely round the fields of Athenry The small free birds fly Our love was on the wing We had dreams and songs to sing It's so lonely round the fields of Athenry This week, we're going to have a look at one particular name that's found all over Ireland and Scotland. Perhaps you even have this name in your own family. Now, seeing as we have so many listeners from all over the world, today's choice of word and name seems very appropriate. You see, the Irish word for world is Dawan, spelt D-O-M-H-A-N. And as you might expect, this word, Dawan, made its way into a few of the early Irish first names. The most obvious is Donal, D-O-M-H-N-A-L-L. And this loosely translates as ruler of the world. Now that's a nice start for in life for a parent to give a child ruler of the world, Donal. As surnames get going in Ireland and Scotland, Different families took on the title of Donal, which meant Sons of Donal, or O'Donal, Descendants of Donal. The Donal in question being an illustrious ancestor, of course. Even today, the first name Donal and the surnames associated with it are to be found around many parts of Ireland and Scotland. In Scotland, you'll find Donal has mostly been anglicised as Donald, D-O-N-A-L-D, while MacDonald has mostly become MacDonald and MacConnell. In Ireland, the first name Donal, also spelt more commonly really D-O-N-A-L, is mostly anglicised as Daniel, while the surnames here have become MacDonald, MacDonald and O'Donnell over time. Maybe you've heard some of these names in your own family tree. Well, anyway, let's get back to the story. That's enough about the background. And today's story is all about the artistry of one Daniel MacDonald. We received the following introduction from Mary Marsh and Mary wrote to us and she said, Hello from Ohio in the U.S., the only Irish surname in my family is MacDonald, and that's purportedly to hail from County Cork. John MacDonald arrived in the US sometime prior to 1866. That was the year his daughter, my grandmother, was born. I haven't been looking into John's past very hard or long, but US records in him are pretty skimpy. We're tentatively planning a trip to Ireland in June and we're hoping to go to Cork among other destinations. I'm so glad I found you, Mary. 
Well, very nice to meet you too, Mary, and I'm sure you'll have a wonderful trip to Ireland next year. When we hear of McDonald's from Cork, I see my mind often goes towards one Cork man of that name in particular, a man by the name of Daniel McDonald. Have you heard of him? Now, Daniel's father, James MacDonald, arrived in Cork sometime in the early 1800s. Coming from the Isle of Skye in Scotland, he met and married a local Cork woman by the name of Catherine McCarthy. Catherine McCarthy, now that is a real Corkonian name. They moved into Cork City, where they had four children, Being an artist, James immersed himself in the artistic community around Cork. I guess it's not surprising then that they ended up with two artists among their own children, Jane and Daniel MacDonald. But for now, let us follow in the footsteps of Daniel MacDonald. Daniel made his public debut as an artist at the age of 13, And by the time he was 20, he was contributing to major exhibitions in the Cork area. However, London called for such an obvious talent and the entire family decided to migrate there in the mid-1840s to increase Daniel's exposure and chances of patronage. Now, this move proved a great success for Daniel and he was in demand for portraiture among the elite and royalty of the London set. You might have expected now that Daniel would leave his memories of Ireland behind and start to concentrate on his glittering artistic career. However, he exhibited one of his paintings called An Irish Peasant Family Discovering the Blight of Their Store back in London in 1847. This was at the height of the famine or great hunger in Ireland, but it was not a subject that was talked about or indeed painted about in polite London society of the day. MacDonald probably took a great risk painting such a visceral picture at the height of his career and its presentation from an eminent artist placed it into the conversation about the Irish problem among the governing classes in England. For me, the painting captures the moment of realisation, a real nightmare scenario, when you find that your entire crop has failed, maybe for the second or third year in a row. Somehow Daniel had the sense and compassion to realise that this personal and horrific experience should be shown on canvas. The scene captures an extended family in a beautiful autumn setting checking their potato crop and their expressions tell us so much. From that moment there starts a slow horrific descent into starvation, disease and emigration for not just the family depicted in the painting but for hundreds of thousands of our ancestors. From that moment depicted in that painting The population on the island of Ireland almost halved from over 8 million people to just over 4 million by 1901. Daniel MacDonald had used his art to capture a pivotal moment and communicate this new reality to the world. 
MacDonald produced many paintings from a young age. Most are probably still in private hands. But however, he left us early in life and died of a fever in London in 1853 at the young age of 33 years. So, Mary from the US. That's a story there of just one MacDonald family who lived in Cork and maybe they also lived at the same time as your own MacDonald ancestors. Kilkelly, Ireland, 18 and 60 My dear and loving son John Your good friend, schoolmaster Pat McNamara so good as to write these words down Your brothers have all gone to find work in England The house is so empty and sad The crop of potatoes is sorely infected A third to half of them bad and your sister Bridget and Patrick O'Donnell are going to be married in June. Your mother says not to work on the railroad, be sure to come on home soon. Kelly, Ireland, 18 and 70, my dear and loving son John. Hello to your missus and to your four children, and may they grow healthy and strong. Micah's got in a wee bit of trouble, I suppose that he never will learn. Because of the dampness there's no turf to speak of And now we have nothing to burn And Bridget is happy you named a child for her Though she's got six of her own You say you found work but you don't say what kind When you will be coming home your dear old mother has gone. We buried her down at the church in Kilkelly. Your brothers and Bridget were there. Don't have to worry, she died very quickly. Remember her in your prayers. And it's so good to hear that Michael's returning 
With money he's sure to buy land For the crop has been poor And the people are selling At any price that they can Ireland, 18 and 90, my dear and loving son John. I suppose that I must be close on 80. It's 30 years since you've gone. Because of all of the money you sent me, I'm still living out on my own. Michael has built himself a fine house And Bridget's daughter's abroad And thank you for sending your family picture They're lovely young women and men You say that you might even come for a visit What joy to see Ireland, 18 and 92, my dear brother John. I'm sorry I didn't write sooner to tell you that father passed on. He was living with Bridget, she says he was cheerful and healthy right down to the end. I should have seen him playing with the grandchildren of Pat McNamara, your friend. And we buried him alongside of Mother down at the Kilkenny churchyard. He was a strong and a feisty old man, considering his life a soul. And it's funny the way he kept talking about you He called for you at the end Oh, why don't you think about coming to visit We'd all love to see you again Kilkelly, Ireland there, sung by Robbie O'Connell. And I guess it's that sort of kind of song. And indeed, the letters that used to go back and forward were another way of actually portraying life at the time, just what it was like back in Ireland. And in that case, starting around 1860. So very much at a time following the actual Great Famine itself. And um, dealing with a time when I suppose people were really still starting to come to terms with the whole thing. Um, before that, we actually had Daniel O'Donnell and, sorry, Daniel MacDonald, I should say, and Karina there chatting about Daniel and his paintings, which actually were a very, very effective way of portraying just what the 
the effect of the actual famine was like to individual households, townlands and so on across Ireland and bringing them into the galleries around the rest of the United Kingdom and so on at the time. We're going to move on now to another aspect of reporting the Great Irish Famine and in this case in North America and in fact Karina now is going to tell the story of the way the famine was reported in North America and the way in which one particular group decided to take it upon themselves even when they had little means to see if they could actually support the people of Ireland at the time. That was the Choctaw Nation and now over to Karina. Nowadays we're very used to seeing famine and war reported on the TV. The images help us to understand the real misery of some very unfortunate people in parts of the world. However, our story today goes back to a time before such pictures were available to people. Most times the reports they received never came from beyond their own locality. Sometimes the situation, though, was of such magnitude that the news moved beyond borders. And sometimes it caused the most unlikely of reactions. So today I'd like to tell you of one such occasion. Last summer, Jared Miller, one of our Green Room members, made a long-awaited first trip to Ireland. And he had an ambitious schedule but he was sure that he wanted to visit a very specific part of Ireland. And here is what Gerald told us. My maternal great-grandfather was John O'Reilly, born 1850. While he was born in Savannah, Georgia, his father, James O'Reilly, was born in 1820 and was from Dublin, Ireland. John married my great-grandmother, Mary Catherine Harkins, who was half Choctaw Native American. Now, the reason I mentioned that she was half Choctaw Native American is because I understand that a sculpture was recently dedicated in Middleton County, Cork, Ireland, which was commissioned in 2015 to commemorate the kindness of the Choctaws to the Irish in the 1840s famine. The sculpture is entitled kindred spirits. So in honour of my joint Irish Choctaw heritage, I'm planning on trying to visit this sculpture during one day that I'll have in Cork. Gerard Miller. After reading Gerard's letter, we headed to Middleton ourselves. It's really only a half hour drive down the road and we wanted to view this kindred spirits sculpture. Wow, it's a beautiful piece with nine steel eagle feathers all fanning out and upwards to form the shape of a bowl. A striking piece, you can even see it from the roadway, commemorating the connections between two people, peoples who underwent immense hardship during the mid-1800s. Up until the 1830s, the Native American Choctaw had their traditional lands in the southeastern part of the United States. However, the Indian Removal Act of 1830 looked to forcibly clear them from these desirable lands and resettle them in what is now Oklahoma. About 5,000 Choctaw remained in the southeast of the US, but 21,000 took the long journey along what later became known as the Trail of Tears. 
Of these, many thousands died of malnutrition and disease on this trail of tears. The experience must have made a huge impact on the collective psyche of the Choctaw people. In 1847, a few short years later, over on the other side of the world, Irish people were starving in their millions following a succession of potato crop failures. The scale of this catastrophe, this famine, was such that reports spread to all corners of the world. One such report was read out by an Irish chaplain to a group of Choctaw elders. So the situation of the Irish must have resonated with their own recent tragic experiences and they, the Choctaw, decided to raise money to send to Ireland for famine relief. Isn't it true that the most meaningful gestures come from those with so little to give? This gesture was never forgotten and down through the years, activists in Ireland and the Choctaw Nation remained in touch. In 1990, a number of Choctaw leaders took part in the first annual Dula Famine Memorial Walk in County Mayo. This recreated an infamous Irish walk that had taken place in 1848 when many of the locals were dying from disease and malnutrition. Two years later, in 1992, an Irish group joined the Choctaws for a commemorative walk from Oklahoma to Mississippi. For many years, the gift of the Choctaw to the people of Ireland was remembered on a plaque placed in Dublin that read, Their humanity calls us to remember the millions of human beings throughout our world today who die of hunger and hunger-related illnesses in a world of plenty. Now those words have been joined by beautiful sculpture in the town of Middleton. The sculptor, Alex Pentec, says this of his kindred spirits sculpture. By creating an empty bowl, symbolic of the Great Irish Famine, formed from the seemingly fragile and rounded-shaped eagle feathers used in the Choctaw ceremonial dress, it is my aim to communicate the tenderness and warmth of the Choctaw nation who provided food to the hungry when they themselves were still recovering from their own tragic recent past. Mike and myself, having visited the sculpture in Middletill County Cork, we think that he has indeed crafted a beautiful memorial built around one gesture of great empathy and kindness. Back to Gerald. He arrived in Cork and he travelled to see the sculpture accompanied by one of our very own local Green Room members. He also had the trip of a lifetime. And do you know what, Gerald? We are delighted for you, our American Choctaw Irish friend. Thank you for sharing your story and reminding us that we do indeed live in the shelter of each other.
command Be sure the great God never planned For slumbering slaves A home so grand Among the brave and haughty race Honored and sentinelled a place even sons disgrace could quite destroy the glorious trace What an uplifting song that is there. That's The West's Awake, sung by Lumiere and Damien Dempsey. I thought we'd actually finish today's music on that, I think, more up note beat. And I hope you actually enjoyed today's show. You can find the full show notes at letterfromireland.com forward slash 733. That's letterfromireland.com forward slash 733. So, um, well, I guess it's a bit of a sombre topic, but I think it's one that has touched many of our families, the money of the families, I suppose, of people actually listening to this particular episode. So, um, yeah, well, if you enjoyed today's show, I would actually ask you to take a few moments and give some of your feedback. You may be inside in a forum somewhere, just uh, hit a comment and say something. Or indeed, if you're inside in something like Apple uh, iTunes or whatever, you should find an area there to give a review. We'd really, really like to hear what you're thinking of this particular show and our show in general at this stage. So that's it. That's reporting the Great Irish Famine for myself, Mike and Karina there reading two of the letters as well. Hope you enjoyed today's show and look forward to chatting again next week. Slán for now. 
If you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we'd like to invite you to check out our special membership area, The Green Room. You hear us mention it a lot during the show. And you can find full details of The Green Room at letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Our green room is the essential resource for anybody at any stage in researching their Irish heritage because it's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and really connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. In the green room, you get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a very supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The green room is the perfect place to be for anybody starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So why don't you come and join us there at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. That's it for me, but I'll be back next time with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. And I really look forward to chatting to you then. Slán Gafol, Karina.